righty, good to be back with you this evening. I pray that you're having a good pre-Christmas, getting to taste all the cookies and the fudge and stuff that your wife is making, and I'm enjoying that. We've been taking cookies around, inviting folks to come to the service, and Greg saw or found out that I, I'd give some to the place where he's working right next to him because the guy had visited our service. He come in first thing. I walk in here. Where's my cookies? I'm gonna make him a cookie, special. Take it over to him tomorrow. Pray for him. He will need it. <laughs> oh my! What a book, Hebrews, chapter three. I tell you, I, I, I was gonna try to finish up the chapter tonight. Um, and after I got in <laughs> to it, I divided it in half, and after working this thing all out, and I, I should have divided it in half again. There is so much in here. Uh, let's begin reading in verse number six. We actually are going to be starting uh, our study with verse seven, uh, but I want to start with verse six so you kind of get the context and the lead into it. It said, but Christ... As a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the home, hope firm uh, unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Father, help us tonight as we study your word. Lord, just use these things in our lives not just to know a little bit more knowledge but that we might apply these things and and really search our own hearts lord help us now in jesus name amen i titled a message here brother shane's always wanting them outlines and i don't outline i just go verse by verse but i put together an outline a modern medical emergency that sound like what we just read? <laughs> a modern medical emergency. Point number one, listen to your doctor. Now, most people don't. They come home from the doctor and they say, well, all that things the doctor didn't do right and what he should have done, and they have their own opinion. But for this study, listen to your doctor. Now, why did I say that? Well, in verse number seven, wherefore, wherefore, after being confronted with Jesus being better than Moses, better than the angels, better than, than the prophets and all of that, now he's confronting them with the truth of their family history, their medical history. 
They had a real bad medical history. You know, you go into the doctor and, and they, they don't ask you about yourself. They want to know what your mom and your dad and your grandpa and your grandma had and did they have heart problems? Did they have this? Did they have that? They're getting all that medical history. And that's what he does in this passage. And you find out that there is a modern medical problem here. Notice, Israel did not hold fast. Remember what he said in verse number 6? He said, look at it again. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. He had taken them 40 years through the wilderness, brought them to this point, and they did not hold fast. The truth that was in their hearts all along came out, and that's what he's going to talk about. Their medical history, they had a real problem of medical history here. They wanted to go back to Egypt every time they turned around. Egypt was on their mind. We want to go back. What, you bring us out here in the desert to kill us? We're better off as slaves than Egypt. Oh, we need the garlics. We need all of the vegetables and the melons and all of this stuff. We need to go back to Egypt. They really, really had this problem. Why? Why did they keep wanting to go back to Egypt? They weren't saved. Oh, they're God's chosen people, but that is simply a title that God brought them, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Didn't mean they were saved. And they showed that and they proved that because that was on their mind the whole time as out in the wilderness. Better we go back to Egypt. And that's what's wrong today. Many people are wanting to go back to Egypt. They want that old lifestyle. Why? Because they're not saved. God spoke through his son and said he's a better prophet. He, he's better than Moses. He's better than all the angels and everything. And God warns them about their disobedience because of unbelief. Now, he can't say that any, any other way. They were in unbelief. They did not and would not, as much as God tried to lead them and guide them, they stayed in their unbelief, claiming to be God's children the whole time. But they were in unbelief. Listen to your doctor. Now notice the parentheses. After the word wherever or, what, or whatever, he goes on, or wherefore rather, he goes on and there are parentheses here. The parentheses goes all the way through verse number 11, through the end of verse 11. So we're going to talk about the parentheses tonight. This is where he brings out their medical problems. And you can relate that to spiritual problems. The parentheses, what's in, in that, is a further explanation of what he said up there in verse number 6 and what he's going to say on out through the rest of this chapter. 
So in the parentheses, it says, as the Holy Ghost saith. Jehovah Witnesses wouldn't like you to read that because only a person can speak. The Holy Spirit is a person. When Pastor the other last Sunday was talking about the Holy Spirit and receiving the Spirit, you don't just receive an arm of the Holy Spirit. When you got married, you just didn't get the hand that you put the ring on. You got the rest of the person. Okay? The same thing with the Holy Spirit. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get the entire Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's a person. And he speaks. The Holy Spirit saith. He is the author of the Bible. Holy men spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. He goes on and he says, today, you're going to hear him, I think, five different times in the book of Hebrews alone. Today, today, today. He goes back to the Old Testament. It's actually a quote from Psalm 95, and he begins with verse number 7. Now, let me just read that to you. You stay where you're at, and we'll start reading in verse number 7 here, Okay. I'm going to be in the Old Testament reading uh, chapter, in, in chapter 95 and verse 7, and you see how close he gets to this. For he is our God, and we, the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness... When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, and to whom I swear in my wrath that they shall, should not enter into my rest. Almost word-for-word word quote out of the book of Psalms, chapter 95. Back in that chapter, he said, today, he's speaking to Israel, and he says, I want you to listen to me. I'm the doctor. He says, today, from this point, it's urgent. He's speaking to Israel here. Today, listen to me. That's why he starts out in chapter 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past to the, to the prophets by, or by the prophets hath in the last day spoken unto us by his son. He said, listen to me. And that's what he keep, take us, takes us back to in chapter 2. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. He says it again. And he says this, this same today. From this point on, Israel, Paul is speaking to him and saying, listen, tomorrow may never come. I taught the teens last night in their young people's thing. Yesterday, there was a, a fella, you should know his name, uh, he's, he was a two-time world champion played on the on baseball team i'd never heard of his name before ever can you imagine being a world champion and nobody even know who you are 
Nobody pays attention to athletes after they've gone on. He just died yesterday. Nobody knows his name. Nobody that I know of has ever even heard of the guy. So all of that trying to get the prestige, all of trying to get the money, all of it trying to be the best in the world, what good did it do him? None. But the doctor says, today, it's urgent. He said, I want you to listen. If ye will hear his voice. Listen, tomorrow, now listen to me carefully. Tomorrow, your heart will be harder than today. As God's words come forth, and you hear God's word, and you do not respond to it properly, your heart will be harder tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. You want to know why... 85% of the people that get saved do so before they're age 24. Because their hearts are still tender back then. But the older you get, the more you hear the gospel and everything. You can hear it a thousand times. And your heart becomes so hard and cold. You've heard it, but it makes no difference. He says, today... If ye will hear his voice, are you willing? Are you open? Are you really listening? When the preacher comes and, and, and he's studied and, and sought God's face, said, God, what do you want me to bring? There's a message for you, every one of you. There was a message for me as I was preparing this. Are we really listening? His voice is in his word, the written word. His voice is in the preaching. His voice is in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. His voice is in our own conscience as he tries to, to show us that we're, we're heading towards sin or we're in sin. In the circumstances of life, he tries to turn us and show us that, hey, you're going the wrong way. And the admonitions of our family members and our friends as they try to encourage us in the right things of the Lord and, and to, to be in the house of God and, and trying to encourage us in all these things. Today, if ye will hear his voice. And why did he use that? Because every Jew knew exactly what he was talking about because every Sabbath evening at the tabernacle, in every meeting, they would repeat, they would open the service with this phrase, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So when Paul chose this, to speak to the Hebrews that were discouraged and that were some contemplating going back to Egypt or going back to the old is the Jewish ceremonies and, and being persecuted and, and, and difficult times. He chose a specific portion of Scripture that they, every one of them would know and be very familiar with. And he says, today, 
Every one of you, listen. Because if you don't, your heart will become hardened. Point number two, they had hardening of the arteries. I remember when my dad died of a heart attack, they said that's what he had, hardening of the arteries. They don't use that term so much anymore, but that's exactly what happens. Your, your artery, it gets all that plaque and the buildup and your, and your, your arteries are, are really tough and so much so that they begin to crack. And as they crack, the, the, the cholesterol goes into those, those cracks. That's what cholesterol is for. It's a plaster of Paris for God. And it goes in those cracks and it, it starts getting a buildup. And the, they called it hardening of the arteries. Israel had hardening of the arteries. He said, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. He uses Israel here in the wilderness as the illustration for what he's saying. Because he went right back to that same passage in Psalm 95. Harden means to make dry, make stiff, or inflexible. They had dried up. Their hearts had dried up and become unmovable. And there had been times in my life that when I've gotten away from the Lord or starting to head away from the Lord, I begin to dry up. And it scared me to death because I knew I was drying up. And I begin like when you jump in the water and you're gasping, trying to get to the top. And you get up there and you're gasping for breath. And you say, what, what's going on here? We must not dry up you say I don't feel like going to church get out of your bed and go to church I don't feel like reading my Bible there's times I don't feel like reading my Bible get up and go get your Bible and start reading I don't feel like telling somebody about God get up and go tell somebody about God why because if you don't you're going to start drying up and the more dry you get, that clay becomes very, you can shatter it very easy. He says, harden not your heart. It's the seed of the desires, the feelings, the affections, the emotions, the passions that we have. It's not God that hardens our heart, it's us. He said, harden not your heart it's not God that's doing the hardening yet he, that comes later but he's we are the ones that harden our heart we, we yield to our flesh I'm just going to get some rest this morning no get to church why God's got something for you keep that, keep that heart soft Make yourself do what you don't want to do. Provocation. Harden not your heart as they did in that day of provocation. The word provocation is exasperation. It's a translation of the word Meribah. And that's the first place it's used there in Exodus chapter 17. It's conflict, contention. It's murmuring or rebellion. 
You start getting down in the mouth about everybody and everything and the preacher and the, the temperature of the room in the church and, well, they ought to have had better padding on the pews and everything. You ought to sit on a wooden bench in Africa for about three hours. You'll appreciate these things, I'll tell you. Don't be complaining about everything. All that is is a testimony of your heart. You're hardening your own heart. Don't be blaming everybody else. It's your heart that you're hardening. Everybody's not going to do things just the way you do. They're not going to choose the same color. Just look around. Everybody didn't wear the same thing tonight. So don't complain. That's, that's what got Israel in so much trouble, as you'll see as we go along here. As in the day of provocation here, that exasperation, it's what embitters and provokes the mind. They exasperated God. In purity old Kansas terminology, they made God mad. The terminology that's used here is in a strong emphasis here. They made God mad. They exasperated him. It's like sometimes our kids, when they just won't quit asking questions. It's just on and on. And what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And you want to say, go find a dictionary. <laughs> Go get an encyclopedia called YouTube or something. But they made God mad. The term temptation here, the day of temptation, is to make trial of or to put to the test. You see, that's what the devil did in it with Jesus when he was in the garden. He put Jesus to the test. God had a special mission for Jesus. And he was going a certain direction, but the devil tried to change his direction. He tried to change his will. Now, is, is anything wrong with eating bread? And could not God, and would there be anything wrong in God changing a rock to bread? Nothing. But you don't do the devil's bidding when the devil wants you to do it. You do what God says. And when it's time to change rocks into bread, he'll do it. But not when the devil tells you to do it. He was trying to change the direction and the will of God in Jesus' life. And Jesus said, not going to do it. Not going to do it. This whole concept here, that first provocation was demanding the bread in the wilderness of sin. The Jews come out there and they say, hey, we, we, we want bread. Now, wait a minute. Who brought them out of Israel? God did. Who brought them across the Red Sea? God did. Who destroyed the entire Egyptian army? God did. You mean tell me God did all that to get you out in the desert so you can die of, of, of hunger? They were impatient. They would not trust God. 
they had to come up with a better way. They, had to, they wanted God on their timetable. And God's not on our timetable. You ever pray and you say, God, I, I need this. And you come back in, you pray and say, God, you're not listening. I need this. Well, when you need it. I need it now. God said, no, you don't. I need it. And we get mad at God. Because he doesn't give us what we want when we want it. We're just like Israel. We're trying to change God's plan. To meet our plan. And that's what got them into trouble. Notice these different things. And I'm just going to go right down the line. There's several of them here. One, the first provocation was demanding bread in the wilderness of, of sin, and that was in chapter 16, the book of Exodus. In chapter sec, uh, 17, the second was for the want of water. The, the, God, we don't have no water, we're thirsty. Well, it doesn't hurt you to be thirsty once in a while. And when God's ready to give you water, God will do it. But no, they demanded, they, we want water now. The third provocation was in Sinai when they had the golden calf. Uh, we're not waiting for Moses. We're not waiting for God to do his thing. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and build our own God, and we're going to worship him the way we want, and, and all of this. And God said, are you out of your mind? The fourth time was the murmuring at Taborah in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. God says they, they were murmuring. That's a good term for complaining. They were murmuring, and God sent fire around the edges of the, of the camp and destroyed many of them for murmuring, complaining, griping, bellyaching, whatever you want to call it. And then right after that, the fifth time in the rest of the chapter 11 was wanting what God or excuse me, wanting what they had in, G in Egypt. They wanted the fish, they wanted the vegetables, they wanted the melons and the garlic and the, and the onions and all of this. They said, we'd better if we go back to Egypt. And God had to punish them again. The sixth time is it in Kadesh. When they refused to go into Canaan, God brought them all the way, even sent spies in and brought back them huge grapes and all of that, and, and they said, no, we can't trust God to whoop these guys. Boom. The heart attack. See, it was a heart problem that they had. And all the way, every time that heart's building up pressure and building up pressure, and they come to the point of going into the promised land, and boom, the heart attack hit. And God said, I will not let you into my rest. You will not go in. You will die in the wilderness. Well, what about Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 22? It says, because all the, those men which seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. I only come up with six. 
Most of the commentators and people only come up with five. Well, what about these ten times? You ever wondered that? Why it doesn't coincide? Because the term ten times is a figure of expression. It means many. For example, when we say, back home we say, thanks a million. You ever heard that? Am I going to thank them a million times? How many of your, your mom come to you and said, I've, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Did she tell you a hundred times? Probably 200. <laughs> it's an expression that illustrates what? Many. The same thing. You say, well, where do you find that? Well, in Job chapter 3, when his friends were there, he said, these ten times have you, and you go back and count, and it's not ten. In Genesis 31, 7, he said, you, when he was looking for a wife, he said to his father-in-law, you've changed my wages ten times. Leviticus 26, 26, there was ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. And not ten women working in the same oven, that's just an expression, many. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 12, if they said unto us ten times. It's a, simply an expression that equals many. That's why in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20, he said when they, they, they ate the, por the, the porridge and everything, Daniel and his, his, his buddies there, and they found them what? Ten times better. It's simply an expression to indicate many times. The idea was that they had tempted God, not just ten times, many times throughout those 40 years. Many times. And I thought, Lord, how many times have I tempted you? How many times do you think you have tempted Almighty God in unbelief. Not trusting Him. Demanding. Wanting Him to change His will to my will. God says these ten times you've, you've rebelled against me. They also had cataract problems. We'll get away from the heart. They had cataract problems. In verse number 9, he says, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. He's talking about your fathers, God's chosen people. That was their relatives, their history. They knew their history. They knew what their forefathers had done. He says they tempted as much as they could. They tempted God. They tried to get him to change his will and do what they wanted and when they wanted it done, just like the devil wanted to do with Jesus. They wanted meat and water. Nothing wrong with meat and water, but it wasn't God's timing. That wasn't what God wanted at that time. They would not trust God. They proved, the term is to test or to try. They tried God like our children try us. They will 
my mama used to say, Brian, you used to stretch that rope just as far as it would go. What did she mean? I was tempting her. I was testing her to see when the hammer comes down. That's why our children, they're just what you make of them. They start running around screaming and hollering and you shout and you shout and you shout and you shout and you shout. It's your fault, not theirs. Why? You've trained them. Because you'll get to a certain point and you'll raise your voice at a certain peak or you'll say something just certain and they know they're at that line. We need to back the line up and say, you're going to obey me the first time, period. And when they obey the first time, everything's good. You don't have to go on shouting and running and screaming and chasing. and You, you have them obey the first time. And that's what we need to do with God here. He said, they tried me, they proved me, and they saw my works. This is why they had cataract problems. They couldn't see right in front of their eyes. He said, they saw the plagues of Egypt. All of them things that God did, and they knew that only God could do them. The Red Sea opened up, and they went through it. Can you imagine that? Watching your enemy engulfed in water, every one of them ever just slapped dead. And then God provides manna every day, manna in the wilderness. And here you have this great big old rock here, and, and out of that rock there comes enough water to feed over a million people. I mean just hordes of people, the water pouring out, feeding and, and giving them water for their animals and giving water to drink and to bathe and to cook and all of those things. And then they defeated the enemy as they went along. As God was leading them, God defeated their enemies over and over. That whole time, not one of their... Can you imagine not having to buy a pair of shoes? Imagine not having to buy another, another pair of breeches or a shirt because it didn't wear out all those years. And it did not wear out. What have you seen God do? What have you seen God do? They had seen all of this, and yet they couldn't even see it. It's just like it didn't even happen. As they continued on out of the wilderness, God's doing miracle after miracle after miracle, and they didn't even see it. Oh, they saw it with their eyes, but they stayed in unbelief with the hard heart and cataracts on their eyes. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. I wonder, what has God done in your life? What have you seen God do yourself? That's why it, it, it's so exciting for me. I love to talk about Africa. If you've been around me, you'll know. I just love to talk about Africa because I've seen God do some wonderful things over in Africa. I've seen him do things that I, I would never have dreamed that I would ever even see. And over and over and over and over, and to where it builds a confidence in God. Let me ask you, you got cataracts? Not physically, 
spiritual cataracts. What have you seen God do? You say, boy, I'm going to have to think about that a while because you got cataract. If God's not doing something, there's something wrong because he's busy and he's working. We are so centered and focused on ourself that we can't see what God is doing right in front of us over and over. If you can't see what God is doing right in front of us and give God the glory for it, there's really a spiritual problem. Do we tempt God? I think, and I think we do. Point number four. We're almost done. Too late. The office is closed. Don't you hate that when you got, you're sitting there and your tooth is pounding in your head. You're about ready to rip your hair out if you can get a hold of it. But you rip your hair out. I'm telling you, your tooth is, you're just dying. And you've tried every remedy that the home will provide. And, and you call that dentist office and you get that. If you have an emergency, call 911. If you're having a heart attack, well, just drop dead. Go ahead. I don't care. We're not open until morning. I hate those calls. But God said, the office is closed. Permanent. It's too late. He says, wherefore, verse 10, because of all what he just said, I was grieved with that generation. That's extreme anger. And disgust. God gets mad. He says that and said they do what? Always. Not ten times. Always. They do always err. Always means perpetual. Many times. Over and over. Error is in the present tense. It means continually wandering and being led astray. Over and over, that continual action. They've not known my ways. The word is gnosko. It's, it means an experiential knowledge. You, you actually are experiencing it. They have, no, they have no idea of my ways. They're not saved. That's why they're standing in unbelief. That's why they're doing what they're doing. One can only know. We can know salvation superficially. But to know salvation experientially is a different thing. Many people know how to get saved, and they, they walk in and out of churches all the time, still lost. They knew what God said, but they would not do it. They sat there in unbelief. Where? Said unbelief in their heart. Unbelief in their heart. God is very merciful to, to sin or errors of judgment in the head. But this is error in the heart. It's the very being of man. They are dried up. They're not concerned. They're not sensitive to the things of God. They're cold. That's what he said about Laodicea. I would that you were hot or cold. But he said, you're lukewarm. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. A lot of people like 
Saul. Oh, I'm obeying you, God. No, he didn't. In his, in his mind, he thought he was. But he didn't listen to the doctor. He didn't listen to what God said. God said, I don't want no king coming back here. I want all of them dead. He said, I don't, I don't want the animals. He said, I want them all dead. They brought them all back. He didn't listen. We need to pay close attention. He says in verse 11, so I swear. That means to make an oath. And the oath here is, if I am God, this is true. He put his own self on the line here. He said, in my wrath, this is God's settled opposition and abhorrence to sin. God is making an oath here. He said, they shall not enter. They were still running around, but they were walking dead men. The terminology here, the way they phrase it, it says, I may, or may I not be Jehovah if they shall enter. The only way that they will enter into my rest is if I stop being God. And he's not going to do that. You listen to me. You can, you can push God one step too far. And when God puts a hammer down, you're not opening that door. You can cry, you can bellyache, you can complain, you can do whatever you want. What happened when God shut the door of the ark? Not one of them came in. God's promise, this absolutely will not happen they will not enter into my rest they've crossed the line they've crossed that deadline they've pushed me too far he says into my rest they, they just were walking dead john 12 30, 39 says wherefore or therefore they could not believe even though they're listening, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardeneth their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. You got people that wait, they want to do this kind of a repentant act. Okay, God, what, you want me to say some words? I'll say some words, but I'm coming with my sin and I'm keeping my sin. My life is not going to change. That's not repentance. You see them on, on the cowboy shows. You see them on the, on, the, on the news crews. You see them all over. They're, oh, we are people of faith. Let's go to the cocktail party. No. That's not repentance. And God said, I'll blind their eyes you are not coming to me on your terms. You come to me as a hell-bound sinner or you don't come. Pure and simple. Man's hardens his heart just like Pharaoh. You start out, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then after that, you notice God hardened his heart over and over. Harder every day. Every day that we say no to God. Every day that we complain against God, our heart gets harder and harder. No repentance. He says the rest here. 
It's ceasing from work. You stop what you're doing and, and what you're trying to do to please God so that you can be saved, and you just rest in him. I can't do nothing. I cannot do anything to please God. I am a wicked sinner, and I just followed his feet and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You're the only way. It's not an absence of problems. It's resting in his assurance. You're resting in what God's word says and what God's word promised. He promised to give me eternal life, and he promised to take care of me all through my life. That's not an absence of promise or of problems. We're going to have problems, but he's going to be with us in all of those problems. Having total confidence in him, he knows what's best. It doesn't make any difference if we're in the wilderness, if we're fighting the enemy, if we're having a good time, if we're living among heathen, if it's just in our daily life, it's bad health, it's, it's finances, whatever it is, God said the same thing. In your circumstances, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. They, the rest, they, or what rest were they looking for? Freedom from Rome and Jewish persecution. They wanted freedom from that. They wanted their problem solved. But God said, you know, th these people must have been thinking, you know, it was better off if, when we were Jews. There's a lot of Christians. I said, boy... I never had problems until I got saved. And now I've got all kinds of problems. Well, that's what was happening here. And that's what, that's what Paul's addressing. He said, look, that rest that you're wanting goes farther than just absence of problems. It's eternal rest. The rest speaks of permanency. God wanted to give Israel rest in Canaan, but God had a rest for them, but they wouldn't accept it. They sinned against God, and they were cast into slavery, and God brings them out of slavery, and what do they do? They fail to go in, into that rest. Why? Because of unbelief. He sends them out into to other nations now in the captivity they come back and they still won't trust God and God has to send them out again they still because of their sin would never accept the rest that God had for them like Christians we're always worried about everything why are we so worried do we not think God can take care of us and provide for us and, and work in ways that we have no idea our rest is not in a land like Israel was promised. Our rest is in salvation. We receive rest by trusting him. That permanent rest, yes, that will be in the future when we get to heaven. But we can rest in him right now. People say, you ought to worry more. No, I, I'm just having myself a good time. Is everything good? No. Peter broke the other day. We freed him to death. But it's working now. God's going to work things out. Listen to this statement and we're finished. Today lasts only as long as there is opportunity to decide and as long as the conscience is sensitive to God. When a person's today is over, 
it's too late. His heart gets harder every time he says no to trust Jesus, his truth, or his will. When the heart is soft, when the conscience is sensitive, when the intellect is convinced about Christ, that is the time to decide. When one is still pliable and responsive, otherwise he'll eventually become spiritually hard, stubborn, and insensitive. The gospel will no longer have an appeal. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what's, I don't read your mail. I don't even read my mail. But some of you have difficulties. Some of you have troubles. Some of you may not be saved. I don't know. I've, I've seen, I led three deacons to the Lord over in Spain. You have to stand before God in the confidence and the assurance of what he did, not what you do. You have to know the, the situations in life. God's in control. And I'm not going to worry about it. God wants you to rest in him. In him. That's where our rest comes. Even in, even in Israel right now, and, and even in captivity, those, those people, if they had Jesus Christ, they could rest in him in captivity. And that's what God wants you to have. Be able to rest in him. Not with a heart that's hardened of unbelief, but rest in him. Father, have your way in our hearts tonight. Lord, there's, there's so much that we've even cut out of the message. We ask God that you would help us to take a good look at ourselves and our own hearts and that we might see Truly, whether we're resting in you or whether we're just going through life claiming that you're our Savior and yet trusting in everything that we do, God, I pray that you'd speak to us. Help us this Christmas to realize what you've done and how you can cause rest in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Joel, there you go.